Hello and welcome to Stand Up For Sport. A brand new podcast where we get stuck into the juicy content both shocking and silly from around the globe and all your favourite sports. My name is Will and I'll, I'm your host this week and I'm joined by Sam. Hello. And Josh. Hiya. So this episode we're focusing on the current Rugby World Cup. We have a scandalous team this week and are going to be looking at rugby scandals from the quarterfinal nations who played last weekend. Yeah, so I think our first sort of scandals we're going to look at is from the uh, England, England, Australia, the, so both England and Australia and their various scandals for their rugby nations. I think, Josh, you've got, got a bit about that. Yeah, so on our podcast, we, we sort of have like a recurring theme of heroes to zeros or zeros to heroes. Um, the one that springs to mind when you think of England at World Rugby World Cups is Martin Johnson. 2003 World Cup winning captain, could do no wrong, retired after the tournament in a blaze of glory, um, the nation's hero. Um, throw it forward to 2011, he's back at the World Cup as England coach. Uh, not quite the same story, a quarter-final defeat to France, which in itself might not be horrific, but preceded, um, to, after the defeat, you've got Manu Tuolangi jumping off a ferry in New Zealand, um, £3,000 fine, and warned by Auckland police. I mean, if that had been a one-off incident, maybe you could write it off, moment of madness, but it wasn't. I mean, you've got the rugby players throwing dwarfs, you've got it being labelled Mike Tyndall's extended stag do. Uh, I mean, it was just it just went from bad to worse for the England team in 2011. And Johnson resigned off the World Cup and hasn't been seen in a coaching position since. Um, and to be honest, I think it's one of the biggest falls from grace you've probably seen in the rugby world. Yeah, the... the, the, the the, the 2011 incident at England's tournament in general, who do, you, who do you sort of put the blame on for this one? Is this a lack of leadership from the top with, with regards to Martin Johnson? Or is it, or what, what the, should the players take the flak? Because, you know, a, a, man's, a man lost his job in this situation. I think the players should take the majority of the flak. I think what, what let Martin Johnson down was a change. The eight years had, that had gone past since 2003, he set the standards and he thought that players would buy into it the same way they had done in 2003 but this group were perhaps a bit younger a bit more uh, a bit frivolous and they might have needed maybe a harder hand coming down on them um what do you think Will? yeah i think also you've mixed 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 responsibilities for it but the players obviously they're big name big name personality so they've got a bit of responsibility especially mike tinder obviously being married to the queen's granddaughter <laughs> yeah he knows there's going to be a lot of um, lot of scrutiny on him and I think he, they, he was pictured as being a spectator at the Mad Midget Weekender which probably <laughs> when you're related to royalty isn't the best thing and I know Martin Johnson before the tournament spoke about how he trusted his squad so obviously you talk about coaches being too overbearing and not overbearing enough and he obviously yeah. gave them the responsibility to behave appropriately and obviously they didn't do that. Yeah I, I, I I'm also intrigued from the point of the media. You know, the the, the Tyndall story was, was was put all over the sun, and it was it was it, it became a national disgrace because in this country, in in England, because of the the, the the way the media reacts to it. Do you think the media in this situation should protect um, these the, these players when, especially England rugby players, who are who are often scrutinised and and you know, for, on performance basis, let alone for what they do off the pitch. I do agree sometimes in the media you, you do get it going a bit too intense on, on sportsmen's lives. Like I know there's been some things with the Ben Stokes stuff recently which has been controversial. But I guess from the other side of things, the papers have also got to sell their papers and a story about the England rugby team going out and causing chaos in New Zealand is probably something that 
people will want to read about and find out about. I mean, they haven't helped themselves really, have they? Back exactly, in 2011. Yeah. I mean, a good story is a good story, but it wasn't investigative journalism. You just had to be knocking around New Zealand to hear about all these um, these incidents. I mean, dwarf throwing is not your everyday occurrence, and it's a good it's a good spread. <laughs> it's a good spread for a turno. So, I mean, yeah, I understand the English teams get get overly criticised sometimes or overly inspected, but. I mean, you've got to help yourself. Like. It's always getting that balance right at major tournaments as well. I know there's been things over the years. The England football team being bored in their hotel, not allowed out. Um, that's always a controversial topic of talking about how, how much responsibility you give the players. So it's a tough one to balance, but I don't think England, uh, obviously, they didn't balance it well in, no. this, in this situation. Yeah. And then moving on to the Australia, um, we've got the homophobia storm, which I think, Sam, you looked into. Yeah, I mean, when you think of... Australian controversies, Australian heroes to zeros. There's only one person you can really, you can really think of, and that's sort of that, that and that's Israel Folau, That the, the the case which sort of dominated the entire build-up of, of of this Rugby World Cup tournament. Um, he was a, a a pivotal and important player for uh, uh, Australia in 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 recent years. Um, you know he's. Uh, Thirty years old, six foot four, a back. You know he's uh, he can, you know that's, that's that's very good attributes. You know sixty two caps for Australia, thirty two tries, one hundred and sixty points registered. That's 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 a key part of the team. But then it's all about the off field stuff again. Uh, in this case, um, you know he was the fourth, uh, despite being the fourth highest international try scoring uh, player for Australia, he had some. His off-the-field statements with regards to homophobia um, have, have been well documented. Uh, this is not just something that happened in the build-up of the tournament. This was, this goes back all the way to 2017, uh, where he said when he tw- put out in a tweet that he would not support gay marriage in Australia, which is, which you know, at, at, at a time when this is a very delicate subject for a lot of people, um, it's, it's 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 obviously not the wisest thing to do, and it's surprising that someone from his PR team didn't didn't have a word with him. But then a year later, April uh, 2018, he uh, he posted one uh, he posted a a, a a photo of you know a saying a very similar saying where he wouldn't support homophobia once again, and that and that um, homosexuals will, will go to hell should they not decide to retract their sins. And again, you'd think someone in their in his PR team would say, "Hold on a minute." This is going to upset a lot of people. But then, earlier this year, he posted the the, the, the statement which went viral um, with regards to his homophobic, with more homophobic ins, uh, insults. And then his four-year contract with Australia was 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 terminated with um, with immediate effect, and he hasn't gone on to participate in this World Cup. And Australia have, you know, f- faltered in uh, in this World Cup, which is um, not really. Which, which, which is not really want to see, yeah. I mean, let's make no bones about it. This is probably one of the biggest scandals in rugby in, in recent times. Israel Flower was, by quite some distance, Australia's best player. And he would have been, undoubtedly, a major star at this World Cup. And for them to be robbed of such a talent, admittedly, all his own doing, is it must be tough a tough pill to swallow for the Australians, especially their, their other players who would have been counting on Flower's performances to get them um, far into the knockouts. Admittedly, it might not have been enough to beat a rampant England on the day, um, but yeah, Falau is a massive loss. Um, I'm hearing rumours of him maybe able to get another gig playing rugby league for Tonga. Um, obviously, the Polynesian nations share sort of similar, really strict, devout Christian beliefs, and that mm. might be a little route out for him. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a total hero to zero for Falao, who's completely um, corrupted his whole career, um, quite similarly, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and also the, the the interesting thing is the story is still making is is, is, is still making waves this this um, this week in terms of the fact that he's um, that the, the U.S. part the American pastor that you know has, has has sort of influenced these Christian views on him uh, on Falao has been denied entry into uh, Australia, which is fascinating when you consider that, that, that you know Australia is still sort of having t- taking a bit of stand towards uh, t- taking a stand to this and Israel is Falao and they're not really ex- and they're not accepting this and it's almost as if they're blaming the pastor for this for, for, for this you know downfall and if it's if things are interpreted the wrong way people will you know interpret it as this pastor has brought down Australia's World Cup campaign and uh, that's not really a good thing to see. So talking about the, obviously the wider thing of homophobia in sport, you've had various things have been homophobic football chants at Brighton. There was the gay football. I don't know if you guys saw the Twitter account where yeah. the professional footballer that was going to come out, um, but he ended up having a few meetings and he deleted his Twitter account. I know there's one gay male cricketer that came out about ten years ago, Stephen Davis, who plays with Somerset, but I don't think anyone's come out since. In the women's cricket team, Catherine Brunner and Natalie Siver have just got engaged. And uh, Gareth Thomas has made the headlines recently with this. But what do you guys do? You think enough? We're, we're tolerant enough in society for for this in sports. I mean, I'm surprised there hasn't. I'm surprised there hasn't been more um, uh, homosexual players coming out during their careers in sports like rugby and cricket, um, because I think it's 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 all about how the fans will react during the game itself and how it affects you during uh, while you play obviously football is a very um vitriolic vitriolic oh, it's yeah. it's you know very passionate um the, the 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 stakes are high because it's the most one of the most fo- probably the most followed sport in in in, in the uk in the world as well um so with you know, rugby audiences and cricket audience, particularly spectators in, 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 inside the ground, it is very, it is a lot more civil, and it's a lot more uh, calm, and it, and it's and it's, it's not as vitriolic as uh, compared to football. So I am surprised that that rugby and, and cricket, but there were there were the the, the, the women's cricket pair who who recently announced their engagement. Um, you know, Catherine Brunner, uh, uh, Natalie Skiver, who have been, I think this this hopefully what it is is the start of something. Start start of a, a trend going forward. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. I'm not sure why, but it is a bit more common in female sport. You see a lot more women um, getting engaged or uh, being open and often together in the same team. I mean, you have the the Richardson Walshers in the yeah. in the hockey, for example, and obviously you've got in terms of rugby male rugby players, you've got Gareth Thomas, dual code Welsh international, um, doing lots of good things in terms of homophobia in sports. He's done a few BBC documentaries and obviously one on HIV. Which is there probably even a much bigger taboo than just um, yeah. being homosexual and playing playing international and professional standard sport. But I think in terms of uh, homophobia in football, it's something that isn't going to change in the near future. I mean, we're currently in the middle of a racism storm, yeah. which seems to be a much more vociferous um, like problem. Um, but I think the FA and the powers that be need to be doing as much as possible to combat homophobia, racism, all sorts of discriminatory behaviour in football I think is something that we have a long way to go with before we get to where we want to be yeah I think definitely there's plenty of work to do like you talked about racism there we're 
it was a horrific scenes in Bulgaria and we're quick to criticise that, rightly so, but also there's still problems with that and back home in the UK saw a few incidents over the weekend. I think there was one at Bristol City, Harringay Borough, in yeah, FA Cup, they walked off. off. So there's, there is a lot to do and I think the majority of society are very tolerant of people where whatever background they're from but there's always so, a minority that we need to stamp out yeah, it's the, it is the one percent but the one percent are causing vast damage for everyone else and it's just something we want, don't want to see i mean it's got to be kicked out next bunch of scandalous nations Wales and France obviously a narrow win for Wales at the weekend and I think Sam you've looked into these two nations yeah uh, Wales I think another another scandal which has sort of preceded this tournament is obviously the Rob Howley betting scandal this this, this person has been a a, um, a key figure for Wales both a player and a coach over the last um, over the last sort of you know 20, 20 odd years um, you know Rob Howley has gone from the uh, Lions winning coach, Welsh, le- uh, Welsh uh, legend, and also a, a coach who's uh, helped Wales uh, win Grand Slams, to being ridiculed for his betting um, issues. Obviously, World Rugby have you know laws in place where you can't uh, bet on you know as, as a, a person in uh, a person of interest, a, a person who has influence, cannot bet on. Um, uh, yeah, can't bet on their own sport. So um, Rob Halley, fifty-nine caps for Wales uh, over uh, over six years, and captained them for for nearly half of them. So he's he's, he's obviously a well-respected person. Um, he coached Wales for one hundred and four, nearly one hundred and fifty games uh, alongside Warren Gatland, who's who's he's been his right-hand man for eleven years. Coached them in two World Cups. He's helped Wales Wales rise to the world number one. In which during that time they've gone on 14 match unbeaten run, uh, and now he's been flown home. He was flown home for the World Cup on virtually the eve of the tournament, uh, in, dis- in a disgraceful fashion. After being revealed that he had, uh, after an investigation was opened, that that uh, he was uh, uh, involved in the betting scandal. Um, he, ha- he hasn't been proven innocent or guilty yet, so I think we have to be careful on what we say here, but. Um, the Wales hierarchy have clearly deemed that it's right that he's been sent home uh, with these allegations in place and and he shouldn't coach the team while being under placed investigation. But Wales, they're not they're not doing too badly, are they? I was gonna say, Josh, do you think this is do you think this disrupted the Welsh camp or I mean initially it would have been a bit of a shock, but they brought in Stephen Jones, uh, former Welsh by half. Uh, he's been working at the Scarlets and he is a quality attack coach as well and he'll bring some he's brought some new ideas and fresh takes on things. I mean, let's make no bones about it. Rob Howley is not everyone's cup of tea. Um, Sean O'Brien came out after the Lions series in New Zealand 2017, slamming Howley, basically saying Farrell and Sexton ran, ran the attack. Howley was a bystander. It was all being driven by the two fly halves on the tour. And yeah, Howley's not unanimously rated around, but obviously this is a big distraction to anyone's World Cup campaign. I mean, if you get into the rumor mill, um, obviously I, I don't, I can't confirm or deny these things. But you, you've heard, I've heard some crazy things that he's been betting on England to beat Wales. He's been betting on Wales's first type of score and then drilling them to maybe like maul over a try, and he's been putting money on that. I mean, you've heard, heard some ridiculous things. Um, obviously, massive breaking news at the time at the beginning of the World Cup. What almost about a month ago now, sort of bubbled under the surface since. Obviously, the action's been taking taking the forefront. 
of people's minds. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see when when things come around what he's actually done and what he gets put down for. I mean, it could could be as bad as a life ban. And to be honest, if it's as bad as it appears to be, if you go on what the rumours are saying, then I don't think he could have too many complaints. Yeah, and sort of bring this into wider sport. There's been a lot of it seems to be quite a common thing now for you betting scandals with players. Just last mm. week, the Wimbledon manager. Wally Downs, he had been suspended originally for betting on matches and he, he was relieved of his duties last week. You've got Joe Barton at the twilight of his career. What do you think about the betting scandals? That- I, I think that it comes under the bracket that, that players and coaches, when they finish their playing career and they, they, or, or they start moving down towards the end of their playing, they, uh, uh, their playing career, you've got the, the, the insecurity of having a wage since you were the age of 16, 17, 18 and that being completely taken away. So people, people use, the, the, the players use the fact that they've got lots of money at their disposal to try and get more money for later on in their career. I think that authorities, uh, sporting authorities, I don't, I don't think do enough to ensure that, that players um, don't fall into these traps, don't fall into these uh, issues. You know, people have there's been gambling addictions and, you know, and then sort of narcotics and alcohol addictions as well afterwards that, 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 that have come about when players have finished their careers. So I think it's, it's a pressing issue at the moment. Yeah, definitely more education needed. But do you think uh, society as a whole has probably, obviously it's a commonly debated topic, majority of football teams now sponsored by betting companies. You see them on the TV while you're watching a, mm. a football, rugby, cricket match that comes out with the next, the live odds. Do you think we've got a wider problem in society, Josh? Yeah, I think I think the UK does have a bit of a betting problem, to be honest. Um, it is a bit closely linked betting and sport. I mean, especially obviously if you look at sports like horse racing, you sort of can't have one without the other at the minute. I know people working in horse racing are trying to take it away, more of a family atmosphere at the races, which I'm really in favour of because I think horse racing is a great sport and obviously having a punt on a horse is great fun, but then there should be a side market um, where the betting isn't involved at all. I think we have a lot to do with education, but in terms of obviously sporting players, I think the sort of the obsessive, um, compulsive uh, nature of someone who's driven enough to get to the top sort of lends itself to always wanting more and sort of chasing your chasing your losses is something like a gambling addict would do. Mm. But in general, I think education is a good thing, but I mean, some of these things you've got to just put down to plain plain stupidity. Yeah, I, th- I think I also have to remember that betting sponsors are mainly to attract the fans. They're not there for the players. So I don't think, I'm, 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 I'm not sure it is a massive issue when it comes to sponsorship and and sort of trying to, yeah, appease sponsors. I don't. Th- I, I, it's, it, the the players should rarely take, should be, be be able to take advantage of the fact that they that, that their club or their country or that or you know the, the, the people that they're playing with have an association with, with with betting companies. They shouldn't, but they fall. In, but players are falling into traps here. So it's important that 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 sporting bodies should should do something about it. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's many good. Um Good ent- uh, entities doing good work on this, like the Gamble Aware. That mm. you can like monitor your losses and profits on betting accounts. Now you can disable them. You can block all your cards from it to transfer any money for any gambling site. There is definitely measures in place for people to take control of gambling ad- uh, gambling addictions. Um, not to undermine it as a big problem at all, which I think it really is. But I think there has been some tangible progress in this area, which is obviously really good and promising for us to see. Mm. And then moving on to obviously. The team that Wales beat, France. What have we got lined up for there? Well, this is probably the most dramatic of heroes to zeros in terms of you know this is a guy who was at the very very top, and then he's he's ended up at, 
in the dregs of society, you can pretty much call it. Uh, Marc Cessillon, who is the uh, who uh, was a, a forward, for, a, a France forward, former France forward, represented them just short of fifty times, six foot four, played number eight, was part of the France squad that finished third in the Rugby World Cup. Uh, was 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 a captain for them five times, um, but then nine years later, nine years after finishing third with them in the Rugby World Cup, he was arrested for murdering his wife, which is pretty uh, pretty um, dramatic considering the fact that he was known during his playing days as the calm man of rugby. Um, so what happened was that he he he, he arrived at a party with her. Uh, he was he, he turned up drunk. Um, he was so drunk that he ended up slapping the hostess of the party for absolutely no reason whatsoever and was asked to leave. His wife didn't go back with him. Um, you know, he went home. Uh, he was obviously wondering where she was, so he came back for her. He had a revolver and just shot her in front of 60 people. Um, in terms of, you know, obviously you, s you see sports people being lenient in, in, in courts when they come under criminal proceedings. The lawyers try to defend him by saying it was a crime of passion. Um, not quite sure how that went down, but it was a massive sc scandal at the time, which the French media absolutely uh, gobbled up and followed heavily. So he, uh, the, the the crime of passion sort of you know line didn't really work uh, in court. He was sentenced to twenty years in prison, reduced to fourteen, and then he was re eventually released in twenty eleven after five years in jail. But uh, the Bad, bad news hasn't really stopped for him. He was arrested for drink driving in 2018 where he served an additional year in prison. So it it, it does come under the, these, this bracket of mental health issues, especially with sports people when they finish their careers as well. So the two are clearly linked. Yeah, we briefly discussed that with, um, with the betting there and guys coming to the end of their career and struggling. You see it more and more with um, sports people <coughs> after they retire and, as Sam said, seeing them in trouble. Do we, mm -hmm. do we think... There could be better, I guess, again, education. Yeah, exactly. People's careers exactly. prepare them for prepare them for the afterlife. Josh, what do you reckon? Yeah, I know the uh, the RPA, the Rugby Players Association, do a lot of work with uh, people in rugby about um, a career and a life after rugby. There's lots of business initiatives. Uh, I'm sure the the PCA, the cricket version, do do similar good work in that sort of area. And I think yeah, that is definitely a big part of um, being a professional athlete is you've got to look beyond. I mean, it's a your career could get cut short at any time with a major injury, so you've got to be planning for the worst, expect the unexpected, if you will. But I know if we're talking about mental health, the person who sort of dominates that arena of, of talk at the minute is Tyson Fury. I mean, what are our thoughts on that? What are our thoughts on Fury? Do we buy, buy into his whole... So he's sort of... If we're talking about heroes to zeros, I mean, here's, here's someone who presents himself as the, the guy who went from rock bottom to lineal heavyweight world champion. I mean, do we do we buy into that narrative, or do we think there's a bit more to it? I'm I tend to be a bit skeptical myself. I don't know. I think I think people are skeptical about it because it came at it came at an interesting time. Fury came in with Joshua. Their Dillian White are at the top of their game now. It's, it's, it, with 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 all these you know sagas and and rivalries there now. He came back during that, which is why people are skeptical. But I think when you have a story like this, it's important to listen to them. And I think it's also good for people that have been have struggled with mental health problems to have a sort of role model to look towards and see that things can can improve when people are at the at the bottom. Yeah, if if Fury's work can help people with mental health issues, then I'm all for it. The only thing I'd say about Tyson Fury is if you look into the Fury family past, there was quite a few dodgy comments that perhaps have been buried in uh, in the past. But 
that is not to undermine any good work he's doing now, and I think he can be a productive role model for many people um, if if he's portrayed in the right way and people get on board with what he's doing. Um, but we can't talk about France without the most recent scandal of them all. Um, Sam, what did you make of the red card on the weekend? It's, it's, it's just it's just idiocy. There's just there's, there's indefensible, there's, isn't it? I mean, yeah, there's, there's no defending it. You can't, you know. There was even talk about the headlock at the, begin, at, 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 well, at the start of the move being bad enough, and then to, to do the elbow. I mean, it's, it's it's incredible how a player who is aware that there are cameras on him, that there's TMO who will call him up on it to to try a stunt like that, to try and to try and do it. I, I, you can't, you, 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 you I mean, can't do it. Of course, we're talking about Sebastian Varmina. Um, yeah. Hopefully, I've got that pronunciation yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> He, uh, of course, delivered a savage elbow blow to the head of uh, Aaron Wainwright in a mall, which sent him packing with about half an hour of the game left with France obviously still ahead. And they only lost by one point in the end. So, I mean, you can put it down to him solely. Uh, he's, he's promptly retired from international rugby, something apparently that was preordained. I mean, how much you believe that is up to you. But I just think it's, I mean, it's sort of Zidane-esque in uh, sort of French yeah. moments of madness. And to be honest, he's let his whole nation down and he's probably going to have to live with that for the rest of his life because it's all he's ever going to be remembered for. Yeah. And, I mean, whilst we're on this issue the and scandals, the referee, of course, Jaco Piper, yeah. the man who gave him the red card, was pictured with Welsh fans uh, in the airport mimicking the Viamina elbow onto yeah. one of the Welsh fans. What are our thoughts on this, boys? I mean, Will, I know you've seen the picture. You There's two sides, but really there's the, oh, it's a bit of fun. The refs are human. They should interact with fans. Or do you think it's a bit? I mean, I know the French are particularly unpleased. And which side do you fall on? I, I think personally, it's a it's a bit bit stupid of of what what's gone on. Like I know it's it's all everyone knows it's a bit of fun, but in a de- day and age when there's cameras everywhere, if you if you someone asks you to do that, you sort of politely decline and say, "Oh, I can't really do that because it looks bad." And I think that it probably is the right decision to for him to lose his role as the referee for the semis. Yeah, but so he, he, Piper's had, got no involvement, he's not running the line or anything in any of the semis, and I can't imagine he'll be brought back to the final. I mean, maybe he'll get a gig in the third place, but it's the game no one wants to be at. Again, I think it comes back to responsibility. Like I know we talked about that with the England team in, back mm. in New Zealand back in 2011, and referees, you can go around and do what you like, but don't do anything stupid, and yeah. that is something that's quite stupid. <laughs> Right, as we've talked about, New Zealand thumped Ireland 46-14 in the quarterfinal, and I believe our chair for this podcast, Mr Will Pickworth, has some information on Kiwi and Irish scandals. Yeah, so another couple of interesting scandals. So if we start with Ireland, Trevor Brennan, former Irish rugby player, made 12 appearances for the national team as a flanker or second where he played both positions and played for Leinster before he moved to France and played for Toulouse. So he was a bit of a hero there for a while. So he won the European Cup in both 2003 and 2005. And whilst he was there, he got involved in some local culture and he owned a pub called uh, De Danu. And during a Toulouse versus Ulster match um, in 2007, Brennan received some abuse from the crowd about his pub. And apparently he jumped into the section of the crowd, which had the Ulster supporters, and struck a male spectator which obviously isn't a great look. And it was revealed afterwards that his abuse was due to criticism of this this pub. And the Ulster fans are apparently accused him of having watered-down pints, which triggered his actions. I think the lesson of the story there, guys, is if you ever know someone that owns a pub, don't criticise them for watered-down pints. <laughs> but the, the, the hearing afterwards, um, 
He was banned from life for playing from playing rugby, which was eventually reduced to five years following an appeal. But he was also fined seventeen thousand pounds in order to pay three thousand pounds to the person that he hit. But he announced his retirement subsequently after, so that didn't didn't affect his rugby career too much. But not a great way to go. And I guess you got a similar incident of that with the famous Eric Cantona one when he was playing for Manchester United at Crystal Palace. And we know how much of a character Cantona was. And I know that after the after the event when he was getting questions, he came out with a great quote where he said, When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. Thank yeah. you very much. I mean, if that doesn't sum it up, I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I, I, it's, 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 the, the issue with this is that watered down pints is... Some, I mean, it is a criminal offence. Yeah. <laughs> it is a criminal offence, but it's um, at the same time, you know, there's the, the rumours go about that, about Weatherspoons and whether they have, whether they have watered down pints <laughs> and, 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 and every pub who charges cheap booze, you, you think, oh, well, you know, maybe they... Maybe there has to be a catch somewhere, but um, you know it's it's again it's just another stupid thing. I mean, if if when we've talked about Zidane earlier in this podcast, there were obviously clear, you know, offensive comments made by Marco Materazzi, the Italian defender, towards Zidane's family. Um, this is not quite as as you know. You can't exactly prove this. You can't exactly prove that that this is a. Uh, this is a reasonable enough offence to 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 then suddenly attack a spectator who's paid good hard money to come into the. Yeah, I mean, if you rock up to a sporting match, you should be the last thing in your mind should be the thought of some one of the players running in and attacking you. Yeah, which obviously we have on these two occasions. I mean, we laugh, but it's it's semi serious that you shouldn't these things shouldn't be happening. I mean, they are both quite backdated examples, and luckily we haven't seen too much of anything like that recently. Um, I'd say in defence of Trevor Brennan, I mean it's perhaps a, a personal slight on him, the the watered down pipes thing. Um, not to maybe the extent as the Matarazzi comments, but I mean it's not unprovoked. But still, I mean he's he's got no leg to stand on, um, and it, it ended his career. I think he was mid thirties at the time in a five year ban, albeit reduced from life. Was was the end of his career, and I think he's still out there in France. So. With the pub, running the pub, yeah, <laughs> and I think also you have we have got to acknowledge the seriousness of doing that because if that was done in the street, it'd probably be a prison sentence for it. So it's not a not a great look, no, I guess. I mean, it takes us on to uh, another musical musical memory or interlude, and uh, I think you might understand why we're playing this song. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those that were bad, that's lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. For they fought with expert timing. There were funky China men from funky Chinatown. They were chopping them up. They were chopping them And I think, having heard the old Kung Fu fighting jingle, that leads us nicely onto our Kiwi tale, which, Will, you're also going to run us through. Yeah, so 
cracking song that one by the way <laughs> so great great film Country Panda really enjoyed that one but yeah so this New Zealand one is um, a case of Tanu Umaga he hit his fellow teammate Christmas O with a handbag back in 2006 so this was early one morning after a group of Hurricanes players were drinking after their loss to the Crusaders in the Super 14 rugby final and this altercation happened um, and basically Umaga hit Masoi round the head with this, with just a random woman's handbag, which he picked up where they were drinking in this bar. And according to witnesses, uh, the blow was hard enough to smash a cell phone in the handbag, which belonged to this woman whose handbag it was. So spare thought for her losing a phone in a handbag. And apparently, after he was hit, Masoi uh, broke into tears and was ridiculed, ridiculed by uh, on onlookers. And one witness said it looked more like an angry mother smacking a naughty child kind of thing it wasn't to give harm but to get a message across there was obviously a bit of force behind it to break the cell phone and this famous handbag it was actually a Roxy bag for those of you that are into <laughs> handbags which was originally no bought for $30 oh, handbags are available <laughs> <laughs> it was originally bought for $30 and it was eventually sold at auction in New Zealand on Trade Me which is the New Zealand version of eBay for more than $22,000 so I guess you have seen occasions of teammates fighting before. A famous one that comes to mind is Kieran Dar and Lebo yeah. for Newcastle. Yeah. But not, field. But, yeah, <laughs> but not with a handbag yeah. off the field. Yeah, quite literally handbags at dawn. Though. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was that was the uh, that, 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 that was the title that the headlines went with. I mean, yeah. Umaga doesn't have the cleanest of disciplinary records on the field. Obviously, with the 2005 Lions, the tip tackle him and Kevin Mealamu um, did on Brian O'Driscoll ending his tour. Uh, probably one of the worst tackles in rugby and preceded the whole tip-tackle era. Um, but off the field, he is generally meant to be quite a good bloke and maybe this is part of the All Blacks. Have They have sort of this strong culture, self-discipline, um, self-policing. And it's probably just an extension of that, but quite a funny tale. Um, both massive lads. Chris Masoe is meant to be a good, uh, good crack as well. He's played a lot of rugby out in France and a nice comical tale from the Kiwis. And I think that takes us on to our final uh, scandal for the day. So Japan, obviously, despite a great effort from them, they ended up losing to South Africa. And I think, Josh, you've looked at both South Africa and Japan for a scandal. I have looked at South Africa and Japan for a scandal. Um, we'll start with the hosts. Uh, and the only sort of scandal that I could point to is not really Japan's fault, but perhaps world rugby, obviously with the typhoon Hagibis, or Hagibis, uh, perhaps, that we've talked about earlier. Um, really sadly and quite devastatingly claim the lives of about up to 74 people um, reports make it out to be now um, three cancelled matches New Zealand, Italy, Namibia, Canada and obviously England, France Le Crunch all went by the wayside courtesy of the typhoon but World Rugby came under the spotlight for their lack of contingency plans I mean every country had to sign up to the plans before the World Cup and obviously I guess no one thought this would happen uh, Scotland were the main complainants and they sort of suggested they would launch legal action which their chief executive is now in quite hot water for if their game was cancelled with Japan but luckily that game went ahead and that leads us nicely on to the tangent of a zero to hero so for those of you who are perhaps very much into rugby union will remember the 2004 game between Japan and Scotland in Scotland this ended in a humiliating 100 points to 8 defeat for the Japanese. But throw it forward 15 years, and we've had a complete 100-point swing. Japan beat the Scots 28-21 to top the pool in the last game in the group, and I just think that's one of the best 
zeros to heroes I've ever seen and credit goes to Jamie Joseph and his coaching team and Eddie Jones before that of course the current England coach who was at Japan when they beat South Africa the their course final opponents in 2015 yeah that's a great story and you'd see it a lot with all sports with the we talked a bit about the Euros you go back mm-hmm. to cricket there's teams that are you'd call minor or second third tier nations and people say what's the like Italy and the six nations for example people say what's the point of them being there but then you see stories like this where it's been turned around Absolutely. I think a good example in cricket is Bangladesh, who 10 years ago would lose pretty much every game, and then the recent World Cup, they had some great victories against teams, and they're actually a really, they narrowly missed out on qualifying for the for the uh, semi-finals, so what do you guys think of that? Do you think we should give these smaller nations in whatever sport a bit more bit more credit? Absolutely, I think that, that we don't want to lose the novelty of these, these Clash of the Titan matches, so I think in order to have that, in order to have these, you know, England, New Zealand that we've got this weekend, and Wales, South Africa... Games that you that, games that are on a knife edge and games that you can't pick. I think you ha- then have to have the other side of the spectrum throughout the sporting calendar throughout the season because if you just have every single week, you know, even it's, even discussing with football in the Premier League, if you had like Ars- it, Arsenal, Manchester United, Arsenal, the European in, Super in the, League, yeah, exactly, Chelsea and Manchester City, that if they all play this weekend, that you'd, you'd lose a little bit of gloss on it. So I think having teams like Italy in the in, in in the Six Nations, having Bangladesh in the Cricket World Cup, even Afghanistan in the Cricket World Cup, they brought some they brought some brilliant moments, and obviously the spectators weren't always at their games, and and but it was it, especially some of the dead rubber ones towards the end, but it it, it still brought it's it, it it still brings moments, but I think it plays a bigger role in sort of you know glossing up these 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 bigger classes. Of the, Matches. I mean, everyone loves an underdog, and then touching on Afghanistan, like you said, Sam, I saw Rashid Khan, first yeah. player to be drafted in the 100 draft. Uh, I mean, that is opening a whole other can of worms if we go into the 100, <laughs> but that just shows the sort of impact someone from um, a minor nation or a tier two, as, it have, as we have that awful term in rugby yeah. union, um, they can really go on and make it to the top of the world game, which I think is really uh, promising. But bringing it back to Japan, uh, the only scandalous rumour I've come across. And bear with me here, it's about Kenki Fukuoka, the two-try hero from Japan's win over Scotland. Um, obviously couldn't quite provide the goods Japan in the quarterfinal, only venturing in three points. But this is a scandalous rumour of a different sort, because it's a scandal that he's not perhaps going to be playing any more rugby after the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. He wants to play sevens for Japan in the Olympics, but then he wants to carry on the family tradition by training to become a doctor. And I'm told, on good authority, that he wants to be a sports orthopaedic so I guess his experience won't be completely futile, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's scandalous that one of the world uh, world stars of uh, Japan's World Cup is perhaps not going to be playing his trade in rugby much longer. What are your thoughts on that, boys? It's a bit of a shame, isn't it? Obviously, it had such a great impact and doing that, but I guess if it's if it's what you want to do, you see other examples of uh, people playing sport and then going to Zafan Sari, who played a few Test matches for England, suddenly said he didn't really love the game that much, and now I think he's working as a lawyer and. You see it across in different sports, so I guess if that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. What about you, Blitzy? What do you think about that? Uh, Well, you see, again, it it, it touches on the point we've made about you know sporting people what they do afterwards. I think it's it's nice to see that that Fukuoka is that that his name pronounced right? Yeah, Fukuoka, Fukuoka, Fukuoka. Fukuoka, Fukuoka. I think is the same one. (laughs) Yeah, you see that the. It's 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 good to see that he's got his affairs in order and that he's not having these scandals that we that we that have produced the majority of the content in this, uh, in this podcast. I mean, 
the, there's the other example, the the South African rugby player Francois Lou Lowe, Lowe, Francois Lowe, Lowe. He admitted earlier this summer that he wants to become a financial advisor when he when he finishes his rugby career. Um, he's, he's and he's already made plans for that. He's got a diploma from the London uh, Institute of Finance and Banking. So you you do see it quite a lot, and it's nice to see that these these players are having a lot of. Uh, they're taking the time and thinking about what what they do afterwards as well. It brings it back as well as yeah, as you said there. Like we were talking about mental health and things after sport. He's obviously got a career lined up after sport, so he'll hopefully be set up. And a lot of guys don't have that. You see it more and more with sportsmen doing coaching badges or doing a university degree on the side. But I guess Kenki has got his life lined up after. Yeah, I saw it. I mean, the only thing I'd add is that if I was his agent, I'd be selling him to the highest bidder in France for a nice juicy <laughs> contract after his performances, but there you go. Um, Sam touched on South Africa, and obviously they were Japan's uh, opponents who put them to the sword in the quarters. South Africa, uh, not like Japan, do have a lot more juicy content for scandals, particularly in doping. So just before the World Cup, South Africa winger... Afiwe Dianti, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, World Rugby's Breakthrough Player of the Year 2018, fast, dynamic, 25-year-old winger. He's picked up 13 caps for the Springboks and scored six tries in that time, so a nice record, and he plays for the Golden Lions. He returned an adverse sample uh, in a Springbok training camp in July, and in August this year, that all came out. He was provisionally suspended, um, obviously with the B sum to be analysed, that came back positive as well. And he's now facing a four-year ban and obviously will miss the World Cup. I mean, in his words, he said, I have never cheated and never will. The presence of this prohibited substance in my body has come as a massive shock to me. And without sounding too sceptical, skeptical even, we've, I mean, we've heard that line before, haven't we? Uh, yeah. I have no idea how that happened. Uh, it's a bit of a sad tale. He was a really promising winger. Um, definitely would have been in the squad for the World Cup. Perhaps not in the starting team, but would have got a run out against some of the tier two nations in the group. What are our thoughts on this, boys? Doping in sport. Well, obviously, doping in sport is a very serious thing. It's been in the news in, in a sporting context, context quite a lot recently. But I was more wanting to sort of look at what would you do if you were in Deanti's situation here? Would you be would you be wanting to uh, want South Africa to do well so that this is all under the carpet and, forgot and, and forgotten about? Or would you rather, you know, uh, South Africa falter? They, they don't meet the expectations. And then you think, oh, well, if Deanti was in the squad, maybe he would have done a difference. I don't know which, 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 which side you, 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 you'd want to do. There's obviously a more selfish one for your career, but then there's also one to get rid of all the... the, the criticism and, and controversy out of the way Will what do you think that's obviously a very very good question <laughs> I think it depends on the person themselves like you see in any sport if a per, if someone is a peripheral member of the team there's some you should hear coaches managers go oh, he's a great bloke to have great around this, yeah <laughs> and I think you have people that on one hand as you said he'll be one he'll be thinking oh I want them to say they've missed me but then also if South Africa win the World Cup people aren't going to talk about this whereas if they Say they lose at the week. I guess getting to the semi-finals, you can't really complain. But say they've gone out in the group stage, everyone has said, "Oh, if we hadn't done this, we'd have had this guy available." And his, what do you reckon, Josh? I think perhaps more so than his ability to perform on the pitch, they might have pointed to the distraction of the news coming out just a couple, like a month or two before the tournament started. I think that's probably the bigger issue on on this one with Deanti. I mean, he, he is a quality player, but obviously with Cheslin Colby 
and in PP they've got two quality wingers there. Um, obviously the breaking news for this week and we're going to go into a bit of the semi-final stuff is that Colby's not fit to take the field in the semis which I think is a big thing but as I said we'll save that for later. But in terms of doping in sports, Africa have previous. Uh, the current Gloucester director of rugby, Johan Ackerman, was banned for two years for taking Nandrolone after advice uh, whilst recovering from a knee injury. You see that quite a lot, don't you? Dodgy advice with um, mm. sort of doctors and sceptical medical staff. Uh, obviously, famously, Matt Stevens, the ex-England prop, got a two-year ban for cocaine. I think, interestingly, I don't know how much you boys know about the rugby policy on recreational drugs, your first positive sample for, say, like cocaine or cannabis or a recreational drug like that is kept under wraps. You get a bit of education, you get a bit of checking everything's all right. Then the second one sort of comes to light, but it's not dealt with massively as heavily as it might be, uh, as some people might want it to be. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a good sort of policy? I think I, I, I think it is very good because, you, especially with the with the you know in athletics, you have the. Um, Alberto Salazar sort of incident. A lot of it isn't the player's fault, so it's it's important to to sort of make provisions for the fact that some players don't know they've been doped, and some a, 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 a lot of athletes they tie they come out of training sessions. Your doctor or your medical staff say take this, and at that point you really don't want to question it because because you've been through such a rigorous training session. Um, I think that that's that's probably the best way of going about it. But what about in terms of recreational drugs specifically? Do you think that do you think they should be stricter on that? Will well, I know in cricket with the Alex Hales thing, obviously he would have been in the England World Cup squad. It's the same system as it is in rugby. I guess it's it's lenient towards the players in the way that you get away with it the first time. Like if you got caught, say someone was out in the streets and got caught with say cocaine, for example, they'd be in serious trouble. But on the other hand, if someone's struggling with a problem. If you get caught the first time, then you have like that leeway to not do anything. So I'm saying probably for the players' welfare, it's good. But if you're talking about stamping out drugs more widely in society, it's probably yeah. Negative. I mean, it's a bit of a toss up between the two, isn't it? I mean, I'm all for second chances. I think it's a reasonably good system. It gives you a chance to yeah, sort definitely. yourself out and not wreck your whole reputation. Mm. Um, one more player I'd point to is a uh, Fijian legendary winger Rupeni Thalfau, who uh, tore up the 2003 World Cup, obviously where England. Uh, one, he got a three-month ban for, for cannabis. Um, what a player he was. Uh, like you touched on, Salazar, uh, the Nike Oregon project is being shut down, isn't it? And the CEO, I think, is just about to quit. Obviously, Lance Armstrong, terrible institutional doping. I think doping is one of the, the skirmishes of uh, world sport, and I couldn't think of anything worse, personally. Well, I think that rounds it up for today. Thank you very much for listening. We've been Stand Up For Sport and we're all looking forward to seeing how our scandalous nations develop for the rest of the Rugby World Cup and beyond.